Wooddale Church, good afternoon and welcome to a celebration that is 75 years in the making. My name is Kyle Robinson. I'm the executive pastor here at Wooddale Church, and I'm joined this afternoon by one of our elders and longtime member, Shelly White. And Shelly, today is a great day for us to be celebrating. I tell you, it is so much fun. I might run out of words right now. This has been such a great start to a beautiful celebration. Thank you, orchestra and choir. This is just going to be great. Um, you know, on behalf of the Board of Elders and the pastoral staff and the 75th Anniversary Planning Committee, we really do want to express our gratitude both for you for taking time to be here today, it's been an old home week for some people, and for all those who really made it possible. So before we begin, I would like to just thank the Planning Committee and the many volunteers and staff who have really put together this day, this afternoon, and this weekend. So if you would just help me and thank them, that would be great. And as the planning committee sat down to sort of think out the celebration and what to include, they gave special consideration to two things. And you heard Dale say in this weekend that the history reminds us of God's faithfulness and we use it to look forward to the future. The other thing is that we have a great diversity of experiences here, and a lot of our understanding of Wooddale Church and who it is and what it has done for us really is based upon when we got here. And so we kind of were talking about that, and, and I'm going to tease Kyle because he's a little bit of an amateur at this, but he told me that he and Steph had been here for 13 years. I said he was an amateur because I got to calculate, and I have now entered my 30th year of attending Wooddale Church. I felt a little old until I got home, and my husband told me he was here 50 years. So then we thought, Kyle and I said, let's find out how many people might be here today that have been attending or a part of the Wooddale story for 50 years or more. So you have to do the math. That means that you started coming in 1968 or before then. If that's, I know you weren't born yet, were you? Yeah. <laughs> if that's you and you're here today, and if you could stand, we would love to honor and recognize your tenure here at Wooddale. 50 years or more, 1968 or before. I want you to stay standing. I'd like to see, let's go five more years. If you think you came in 1963 or before that, would you stay standing? 63, did, oh, 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 we took everybody out. No, we've got some 63. Okay, Kyle, can I do it? Let's, let's, let's give it a try. Anybody that thinks they came in 1958 or before, that would be 60 years ago. 1958 or before? Oh, this is so fabulous. Well, regardless of how many years you've been part of Wooddale Church, we want to thank you for not only your faithful service to the Lord, but your fruitful service to the Lord. What you're going to hear today is how God has been working in and through this church for the past 75 years. And as Shelley indicated, the experiences that we have of Wooddale are indeed varied. There are some in the room with us who are from our Edina campus and others from the Loring Park campus. 
those who call the Eden Prairie campus their home, and there are some who remember when there was no Eden Prairie campus, but when Wooddale was based in Richfield. Some are here with us this afternoon from one of our nine daughter churches, or from one of the two denominations we're affiliated with, Four Seas or Converge. And we have a number of global partners who are with us here in the room today or who are joining us online. So regardless of how new you may be to Wooddale Church or how long you have been away from Wooddale Church, the one thing that unifies us here today is that we have come to honor God. Jesus Christ has always been and always will be the head of this church. And so it is him that we have come to honor and celebrate here today. Throughout scripture, we see God's people. Throughout scripture, we see examples of God's people gathering together on special occasions to honor God, to thank him for his provision and for his faithfulness and to recommit themselves to the purposes of God. And that moment is a moment here for Wooddale Church. So how we're going to do that is over the next 75 minutes, we're going to honor God like we've always honored God here at Wooddale Church, worshiping him through music with some old friends and some of our current staff. We're going to honor him through the hearing of teaching and reflections from a former senior pastor, our pastor emeritus, and our current senior pastor. And all of that is going to be rooted in God's word because Shelley Wooddale has always been a Bible-based church. And so I think it's fitting that this service is beginning with scripture. And so what we chose to read today comes from one of the letters that Paul wrote to one of the churches. We chose the church at Ephesus. And as I read the letter aloud to you, or the portion that we're going to read, I'd ask you to think that maybe this is what he would have written to us if he had had the opportunity. And so I'm going to read from Ephesians 1, and I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. And as you're able, I would love to have you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. From Ephesians 1, he writes this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of him. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Would you remain standing while we have our opening song of praise and thanksgiving?
Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we trust in your power to create, to sustain, to enable. But we could not trust if we did not know that you are always near. Be with us, Lord, as we are gathered here to worship you. Enable us to bring all that we are to you so that we might experience your touch among all aspects of our lives. As we are reminded in the 115th Psalm, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. We pray this because of and in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Wooddale Church, this is a special honor for us to have one of our former senior pastors, Peter Unruh, here with us. Peter was a senior pastor at Wooddale Church for 19 years, from 1957 to 1976. It was during Peter's time as the senior pastor that Wooddale grew not only in size, but also in reputation. And Peter helped to lay the foundation for our music and worship through, our worship through music. And uh, as you have heard already this afternoon, that is a ministry that still continues strong here at Wooddale Church. So Peter, thank you so much for being here. And I wanna go back to 1957. And if you can describe for us the events that brought you to your call here to Wooddale Church? Well, I'm awed with your situation. What a day to celebrate, and thanks for including me. I began my journey to Wooddale Richfield in about 1953, and I know you're saying, whoa, that was long before the Dead Sea was even sick. True. <laughs> Four years later, I graduated from Bethel Seminary and uh, immediately left for California to take a position of a minister of youth in one of the San Francisco Bay churches. Along about you know, three or four years after that, I got homesick for some of uh, God's frozen chosen here in Minnesota. <laughs> And I came out here for the Bethel Founders Week situation in February. And one of my professors came to me and said, uh, come on to my office. And he said, would you ever think of taking a church in the area? And I say, what's up? And he said, I'd like to have you candidate at a little church in South Minneapolis. I said, when? He said, day after tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't bring any church acceptance or pastoral material with me. But the result of that was that two weeks later, I had a call from the chairman of Wooddale saying, will you come out and be our pastor? And uh, I started packing. About two months later, I was journeying back to this area. We stopped in Nebraska, had a little bit to eat, and our young three-and-a-half-year-old son was with us, of course. A waiter came up to our table, and he looked at our little son, and he said, Sonny, where are you going? And he said, we're going 
to Minnesota, Minnesota to work for Jesus. Yeah. I said, that's my job description. That's a good job description. So Peter, uh, let's talk about that job description. You came in here to Wooddale, and what were some of the key ministries that you wanted to establish as, as you started your leadership here at Wooddale? Yeah, really we were wide open, but I was coming to a grieving congregation. My predecessor, as many of you know, together with his child, less than one year old, were both killed in a, an accident during the storms in February coming back from Wisconsin. So that's what I inherited, a grieving church. But they were mature spiritually. They, they became they such cohesion as they were upholding one another. They had their own <laughs> recovery system. And I sensed in a short while, hey, they want to go on with their vision. And so with some great leadership, beginning with Chairman Gil Okerstrom, all the way to Austin Chapman, we had godly, capable men to lead the congregation, and I'd like to give a list of names, but I can't do that, and I'd get in trouble if I did. But uh, we began a program for developing. We built a gymnasium and then a sanctuary. And then we added staff along the way. And we stressed missions and did some amazing faith promise-giving for missions. And I'd like to give you the names of some of our key players, but I, I'm going to avoid that, except for two. I liked music, and there was an obvious situation where the church liked music also. And I found the incomparable keyboard artist for gospel music, Jack Simons, you remember him. And the music began to roll. And then I found another man who liked to hunt pheasants with me in South Dakota. But beyond that, he loved to lead worship. His name was Dave Gustafson. Mm -hmm. Incidentally, on Friday of this week, <clears throat> I wandered into the woods very deep up in two harbors. And there I came across, and I was there when the cremains of Dave were buried. There's a tiny little cabin way back, and I stood next to his stone faced with his name on it. I stood there, and I asked God to give me the vision and the love that he had for God himself and for his people. He was a great man. Well, our music program really started to flow, as you implied. We had, with uh, Dan, Don Gilbert's singles choir, we now had nine choirs, and our Sunday night service became a tremendous outreach, not only to the immediate community, but to distant. We started at 7 o'clock, and we were packed. So I said, Dave, get some hymn singing beforehand. We started at 6.45, and we were packed. Our congregation could sing a cappella like the Mormon choir. I mean, I mean, they were good. And uh, we had a problem. We were putting too many in that Wooddale sanctuary. And on the Monday morning, I was called by the fire marshal saying, you either stop filling your aisles in the rear of your sanctuary with folding chairs or we're going to shut you down. 
So what happened, we had a grieving church that passed off their vision to what now was a singing church. That's incredible. Peter, as we were talking this uh, last week, you were sharing with me a story of a certain New York Yankee by the name of Mickey Mantle that stopped by one Sunday morning for a visit. Can you share us? Actually, I think we have a picture of that event happening. There he is. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about that visit? Well, I've enjoyed uh, sports all my life, and that's the understatement of the afternoon. But I did become acquainted with a number of the players, and the church was close to the park also. But I called Bobby Richardson, the second baseman for the Yankees. I saw they were coming into town, and Bobby was a fine Christian man. And I said, how about coming to Wooddale? He said, pick me up at the hotel, and I'll come. I was there. He opened the door opposite me, and I called into the passenger seat, and then I noticed the two doors in the back opened up, and uh, two men walked into my car. So as we walked, drove down the line, he introduced these. He said, that's Tony Kubek, our first baseman, and that, that, that's Mickey Mantle over there. <laughs> I told the guys on the way in, Lauren is going to pick you up, Lauren Law, and going to take you to the park from the, uh, from the church. And, but when I give the benediction at the end of the service, be sure to get out of there so you aren't mauled with autograph seekers. <laughs> it went perfectly until they got to the park and uh, Walter Hout, the manager of the Yankees, was not happy with their tardiness. The next morning on Monday, he called the other managers of the American League and told them, we've got to do something about providing chapel services for our players who want to go to church on Sunday. They did, and it's still happening. That's incredible. So, Peter, um, you are currently... Uh, a pastor of an interdenominational church out in San Jose, have been the pastor there for 14 years. Right. Any thought of retirement? Yes. <laughs> I celebrated my 90th birthday three weeks ago. <laughs> and, and yes, I still love tennis. And I'm, I'm thinking about it. However, I hung out with you a little bit this week, and I'm just thinking, if, if that church ever needs a very seasoned, elderly, part-time visitation person, I might reconsider that yeah. retirement. All right. <laughs> just give me a call. Right. Give me a call, Peter. Uh, what word of encouragement do you have for us? Wow. <clears throat> encouragement. You have taken the vision that we had decades ago, and you have capitalized that, and you've exceeded that we can't even imagine. You're not just into individual discipleship and evangelism. You're not just into planting churches. You're planting churches that are planting churches. You're not growing by addition. You're growing by multiplication. And now you have gone internationally with that. I, I commend you. And uh, let's see. Winston Churchill was asked to give an address to a class, a challenge. And he used five words. 
Never, never, never give up. I have five words of a challenge to leave with you. Wooddale, never, never lose your vision. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. So thank you. Folks, would you join us and stand and singing to our great God and reminding ourselves who Jesus is and what he has done for you and for me.
One of the unique blessings of Wooddale Church has been the longevity of our senior pastors. In a world where the average tenure of a senior pastor is somewhere between five to seven years, we were blessed to have Peter Unruh, who we just heard from, the pastor of Wooddale for 19 years. And that was followed by Leif Anderson, who was the senior pastor at Wooddale Church for 35 years. During the years of Lee's leadership, Wooddale moved from Richfield to Eden Prairie, which was a bold move of faith and a move that proved to be very significant in the life of Wooddale Church. During those years, we experienced dramatic ministry expansion, all while maintaining a kingdom-minded focus, planting nine daughter churches around the state of Minnesota. We at Wooddale are grateful to Leith and to his wife Charlene for their years of strong and effective leadership and for their love of this local church. Pastor Anderson continues to partner with Wooddale, serving as our pastor emeritus. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Leith Anderson. So let's continue the story. In the summer of 1976, Wooddale's calling committee decided to take a chance on a 31-year-old pastor from Longmont, Colorado. So after a lot of thought and prayer, uh, Charlene and I agreed that we would talk to these strangers from Minnesota. We had nearly 10 years at Calvary Church in Colorado. They were good years. The church had more than tripled in size, had relocated to acreage across town. And now we were being asked to come to a somewhat larger church with a somewhat smaller salary. And we said yes. During our first visit to Richfield, Austin Chapman and Bob Lamsey, who were members of the calling committee, gave us a tour of the Richfield building. There was no one else in the building that I know of at the time, and when we finished, we sat in the lobby near the fireplace, and Bob Lamsey said, this is just a building. What's wonderful about Wooddale Church is the people. The church is the people. And so, you, the people of Wooddale Church, that Thanksgiving weekend extended a call that began on January 1 of 1977. My beginning goal as the pastor at Wooddale was not to change anything, and especially during those early years, because I knew that I had a lot to learn. I had to learn a lot of people's names and had to learn the history and the culture and the traditions, not just of Wooddale, but of Minnesota. And I remember, with some uh, caution, deciding on a change, I think it was the second year, that would be 1978, in altering the order of the worship service so that it didn't begin with prayer and then go to a hymn. It would begin with a hymn and then have a prayer. 
Um, tried it once. <laughs> and there was sufficient pushback that we went back to the old ways of doing things. It was uh, a bold change. And, uh, and honestly, it was too soon. It's too soon to change. So my commitment was to teach the Bible and to love the people. So sermons came in series, often series that were long. So we spent uh, 99 weekends going through the Gospel of Luke, 60 weekends going through the New Testament book of Acts. My desire was to teach the Bible in a style that was intellectually credible and culturally relevant and to love the people, to get to know the people in, in, in your homes, in your places of employment, in hospital visits, at weddings, and at funerals, and in lots of conversations. And then after a few years, it was time to take a look at future strategies. And so in one year, the church board, in addition to monthly board meetings, had 26 major meetings to pray together, to study the Bible together, to read books, to visit other churches, and to ask God, what do you want? Where do you want us to go in this next chapter? And as strategies began to take place, there were open forums to get ideas from people and to find out what those in the congregation liked and didn't like. We held a series of home meetings. We would do a different one every night, scores of them. I was in a different living room week after week, day after day in those weeks. Not changing anything, but listening, learning, finding out, praying, planning, preparing together. And then the big changes came starting in the 1980s. There was an organizational restructure. We went to an elder board as a form of governance, revised the bylaws, changed the name to Wooddale Church, and then made a decision to sell all of the properties, basically a city block of properties, in Richfield and move to Eden Prairie. And even though it was a long time ago, I would tell you that location was a big deal. We went from nine-tenths of an acre in Richfield to 31 acres in Eden Prairie. But we also went from a larger church building to a smaller church building when coming to Eden Prairie and to this campus. The first Sunday on this site was July 22, 1984. I had decided a year in advance that when we finally found out when our first weekend on this site would come, that I would simply preach the next sermon in whatever the series of studying the Bible would be. And it was a study of the book of Hebrews, and I could not have guessed in advance that the next weekend, the 22nd of July, 1984, would be Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. <laughs> it, was, um, it was a decision that the continued study of the Bible was more important than moving into a new church building. And so Hebrews 
was the text and the sermon for the first weekend in this site. I was afraid that weekend that I would come and nobody else would be here. Uh, I was afraid nobody would show up. And actually, pretty much everybody showed up, and more. But we also lost some members that we loved because of that move. And I'm sorry to sound so sensitive so many years later, but we lost 17 church members as a relocation issue. And I can, to this day, tell you most of their names because this was part of our family. These were people we cared about, that we loved, and it was a hard loss. I did take some solace that most of them lived in Burnsville and weren't willing to drive all the way to Eden Prairie. <laughs> but it's still sad to lose that many. During the last year in Richfield, I was urged to present a vision speech to the congregation. And so I worked hard and prepared and shared wild dreams of what the future of Wooddale Church might become. And frankly, I was kind of scared. I was afraid that perhaps they were just too wild and the people would reject them. And I wasn't all that sure about any of them myself. So it was kind of a risky thing to do. And honestly, I don't have good memories at all about that Sunday evening or the presentation that I gave because I got just about everything wrong. And I hope it wasn't recorded. I mean, I hope there's no record <laughs> of what I said. Because it turned out that my vision was totally inadequate. It didn't come close to measuring up to God's greater vision. I never dreamed of what God was going to do. I, I, I never could have guessed that people would be reached by the thousands. I, I never imagined that there would be nine daughter churches that would reach people by the tens of thousands and that they would plant other churches. You probably already know, but the first great-granddaughter church of Wooddale Church will be launched this coming Easter. Mill City Church, a granddaughter church of Wooddale, is now launching a great-granddaughter church of Wooddale. I had no idea what God had in mind I didn't foresee that Wooddale Church would become one of the top 10 missions-giving churches in America, or that Faith Minute would be broadcast in every Minnesota Twins baseball game, or that Faith TV would be broadcast with the WCCO TV 10 o'clock news, or that there would be marvelous evangelism of young adults by the hundreds through the gathering, and more and more. I had no idea, no idea of what God was going to do. So let me take you back to one more date. I don't actually recall the exact date. I think it was uh, a Sunday in February in the 1990s. The church planned a surprise for me, and I don't like surprises. <laughs> uh, it was a wonderful This Is Your Life program. And Family members came from around the country, friends of some of whom I had not connected much with since childhood. They were all brought in as a surprise, and it was a memorable and it was an amazing evening. At the end, after the biography part was over, there was a short sermon by a guest 
Vernon Grounds, the past president of Denver Seminary and one of my mentors. He didn't talk about me or my life. He told a story. It was the story of a Renaissance painting of the Last Supper, not the famous one by Leonardo da Vinci that's in the refectory in Milan, but one of the many other paintings of the Last Supper. He said that the artist was highly talented and he worked a long time in painting his masterpiece. He didn't let anybody see it until he was finished and he brought a friend in to look at it. And the friend at first stood there in total silence, awestruck. And when he finally spoke, he said, it's magnificent, the chalice. The chalice in Jesus' hand. It's beautiful. It's stunning. When he left, the artist picked up his brushes and his palette, and he painted out the chalice, the cup, until it was gone. When he brought his friend back in, at a later date, he said to them, the painting, it's about the Christ, not the cup. It's the Christ, not the cup. Today we celebrate the 75th anniversary of Wooddale Church. Just remember, it is not about buildings or programs or pastors or people. It's about the Christ. Remember, remember this. It's the Christ, not the cup. It's the Christ.
Found among the historic records, and I'm hoping it will come up, there is a 1949 picture of the groundbreaking ceremony for the Richfield Building that captures my attention and my imagination. And it isn't just about that precarious looking plywood you see over the hole in the ground, or as I looked closely, those printed dresses and sensible looking shoes like both of my grandmothers wore. But rather, as I looked at it at home on my computer and kind of blew it up and expanded it, I thought, really, I wonder who these people were. How did they each come to know Jesus? I really wondered how their discussions had gone about committing to building a church. Not always easy. And holding the Bible, Pastor Lundberg in the middle, I wonder what text he read to them that day on that occasion. What else might they have been thinking about? I think I have one clue, though. There's a little fellow in the front. If you look on the left, he's looking off to the side, and I've quite decided there was a picnic table laden with food, and all he was wondering was, when will we eat? A good Baptist boy, I say. But these people, if you look at this picture, roughly 60 adults, were committed to taking a step of faith that day that God ultimately used to reach, as you've heard, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. There is so much we don't know about them. But we can be certain of three things. They were led by God. They were committed to serve Him. And they couldn't have possibly envisioned the future as God did. For you see, one of the most mystifyingly beautiful things about God is this. God chooses to use his imperfect but committed people to extend his redemptive blessings and his expressions of grace to the world. And just as those 60 adults at that groundbreaking could never imagine what God would ultimately do through them and through their commitment that day, the same principle still holds true. For once we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are only to yield to him, to trust, to obey. He does the rest. And while we don't really know how God sometimes works for us, through us, and I think it's actually best that we do not, he does. As I say, I find this mystifying and beautiful. So even as we can express inner gratitude for generations past, today we wanted to take a moment, and first I would say, to thank any and all of you who are here today or are watching online, who stay connected to Jesus and who let God work in and through your life, both to serve the body of believers and the world in which we live. Whether your means of ministry and service is publicly seen or privately experienced, know this. This congregation, the broader Church of Jesus Christ, and the communities in which we live are stronger for it. We are grateful to God for this, and I pray for the next generation who will minister in the days and times ahead. And while each of us are deeply valued, there are some who have chosen to respond to God's call to serve in unique capacities, even to full-time vocational ministry that aids the church in very specific ways. Today we have gathered as many of them as best we could. Some couldn't be here today. Some have gone ahead and met with Jesus. And it's my high privilege to lead us today in a congregational thank you to those who could be here who represent this unique group. Now, we actually have four groups, and so now I'm going to turn dictatorial and controlling. 
I love the applause, but here's how we're going to go do this, okay? <laughs> I'm going to suggest we proceed this way. If you could hold your applause, and I promise I will let you know when it's your time, okay? I would like to name each of the four groups first, and then I would ask all who are here who represent those groups to stand as one, and I'm going to include their family members who are with them and their spouses, because trust me, these are combo packages. <laughs> And lastly, I would like to offer a word to them before you as a congregation add your thanks, okay? So let's see how this goes. We have with us today many who represent current and former Board of Elders and some of the predecessor boards, those who oversee the church congregation broadly. We have current and former pastors, those who have preached, taught, and overseen specific ministry areas within the church. We have some of our current and former global partners, many more of whom will be here within the month, and so they couldn't maybe be here today. But these are people with whom we lend prayer and financial support as they minister in locales where we may not be. And then I'm saving to the last one of my personal favorites. And while we had to decide that we couldn't even remotely begin to track down the former staff members of the church, we have asked the current staff to be here today. And I say they're my favorites because the rest of us know where the real work is done. <laughs> and because along with the pastors, they share a passion for ministry and a great love for the people of God. So here's how it's going to go, congregation. Hold your applause for just a minute more. And I'm going to ask that collective group to stand, and I believe a few are inquiring around, but okay, my friends, if you would stand, if you're in one of those four groups and we've gathered you here today, families included, yep, mm-hmm. And to the members of this combined group, I say again, as God's Spirit flowed through your life, thank you for using your diverse skills and gifts, your heart for ministry to encourage, to strengthen, and to extend out this church community over the years. Through each one of you, God has enriched not just this congregation, but the broader Church of Jesus Christ in uncountable ways. So now I'm going to embarrass you, and I'm going to say, will you please turn around and let the congregation see you? They love you, and they want to thank you for what you've done. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you very much. And so please welcome two of our beloved former music directors who will now minister to us once again, David Bullock and Terry White.
It was just over five years ago that the congregation of Wooddale Church issued a call to a new senior pastor. I think I sense a trend here, because having ministered among churches out east, out west, I think we can call Chicagoland South, <laughs> we invited Dale Hummel and his lovely wife Marcia to come north, right, and to minister to this congregation. Many of you know that Dale was born in Dominica and spent his earliest years in Papua New Guinea, where his parents were missionaries. It was there, and it's a beautiful story, as a very young boy that Dale experienced God's call on his life to speak and to teach about Jesus to a group of people who had not ever heard yet. And if we have learned anything about Dale Hummel in these last five years, we know this. That missionary heart of his is still pounding. His deepest passion and his highest joy is to teach and to tell others about Jesus Christ. And we as a church need this. Please welcome our current senior pastor, Dr. Dale Hummel. Ah, shucks. <laughs> I want to uh, thank all of you for being here today, and uh, we could go down the line and thank every individual person. Personally enjoyed hearing uh, Pastor Peter Unruh share that story. It touched my heart, and just to hear how God used you to get things started here in a profound way, thank you, Pastor, very much. And. Uh, to hear Leith share about his years here. And Leith, you have been used by God, not just here at Wooddale Church, but you really have been a pastor to many pastors like myself who've read your books, attended your seminars, and have benefited and blessed uh, by all that God has done through you. I'm very thankful for you as well. Marcia and I are privileged and honored that God would weave our lives into the story of this great church. It's something that we don't take lightly, and it's something we wake up to often and wonder why God would ever give us such a privilege and an honor like this, but we're thankful for it. Now, I want to ask you a very unspiritual question. It's going to seem strange at first, but here's the question I want to ask you. How many of you hope the Minnesota Vikings win the Super Bowl. Kiss your hands. <laughs> what does hope mean? I'm guessing there are some people, if you ask them, do you hope the Vikings win the Super Bowl, they would just go, yeah, I hope they do. The reality is they probably don't even watch a game. It's just that they live in Minnesota and everybody is supposed to root for the Vikings, and yeah, I hope they do. There are others of you, if I asked you, do you hope the Vikings win the Super Bowl? Well, you have studied the roster, you studied the schedule, you know who the players are, you've done your math, and you could probably give us an actual percentile of certainty that you have that they're going to win the Super Bowl. My point in all of that is when we talk about hope in the English language, 
it always leaves the door ajar for some uncertainty. Just the nature of it. I hope so. I hope that works out. I hope the winter's not as harsh. I hope this, I, I hope that. No matter how certain you might be, at some point there's a, there's a crack left there that it may not actually come to pass. It may not actually work out. That's the way it works. That's the kind of the English way, I guess, in our language of thinking about hope. I am very thankful, and you ought to be thankful as well, that when the Bible talks about hope, it doesn't mean it the way we often use it in our English language. The truth is, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not hope like we think about. It's actually confidence. It's actually certainty. So, for instance, if you were to look over in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, the writer says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So when we talk about hope, from a biblical perspective, we're actually talking about something that we're very certain about, that we're very confident about which then gives light to some things that the Apostle Paul had to say in Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to look at a couple of verses in that passage as we think about why we're here and what it means and where we're going. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul says, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Really what Paul is saying there is we who have put our confidence in the certainty and the assurance of who Christ is. We have certainty and assurance. And then he talks about how personal that is for each one of us. Talks about the uniqueness of our personal hope. He describes it in Ephesians. He describes the fact that we have been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And he outlines that for us. He says, we've been chosen. Imagine that, you and I, we have been chosen by God. And we were chosen before he ever created the stars or the planet. If you're struggling with self-image, that should help you out today. God chose you before you were born. God knew all about you, and God chose you. He says he not only chose us for creation, but he also calls us and has chosen us to be holy and blameless, not a holiness and a blamelessness that comes by our efforts or our works, our religiosity. Christ makes us holy and blameless by what he did for us on the cross. So as God looks at you and me today, if we are his followers, he sees us as though we never did a thing wrong. We have never sinned. We are perfect in his sight. One of my favorite sayings is that Christ became me so I could become him to the Father. He sees us in light of who his son is and what his son has done for us. It says he's predestined us to adoption. And as God has adopted us into his family, he's made us his sons and his daughters because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. He goes on, he talks about the fact that we have been redeemed, bought back from death and guilt and shame and sin. He goes on the passage of scripture and he says, we're forgiven. He goes on the passage of scripture in verse eight and he says, God has lavished all of this on our lives. 
He says, this is our confidence and this is our certainty. There is no door left open for it not being so. There's no chance that it may not work out. Super Bowl's already been played and has already been won. And we are champions in Christ Jesus. He says, that's our hope. That's our confidence. That's our joy. Do you feel that today? You feel hopeful in the biblical sense? You have that sense that everything's been taken care of for you, that you are loved because God chose to love you. You are adopted. You're in his family. It's a wonderful blessing. What a great hope we have. But you know, if you move over to Romans chapter 8, Paul expands just a little bit on this. Listen to what he says in verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, in this confidence, in this assurance, in this certainty, we were saved. What does Paul mean by that? He says, not only do we have an inward spiritual hope that God has given to us, that we belong to him, that our sins are forgiven, he says we have so much more to look forward to now in the future. Someday, he says, we're going to have brand new resurrected bodies. How many of you are looking forward to that? That deserves applause. He says, not only that, but God's going to recreate everything. It'll be a new heavens and new earth. Doesn't get better than that. So Paul says we have this very personal, very spiritual certainty and confidence and assurance. And he says we also have this very material, very physical certainty and assurance and confidence that's coming for us someday. Doesn't get better than that, does it? doesn't get better than what God has done for us. And then Paul says this in verse 18. Ephesians 1, 18 says, I pray, I'm praying for you, and I think we're included in this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul says, I'm telling you this, and I'm guessing that cognitively you know this. And you're thinking you know this, but he says, I'm praying that your eyes will be so wide open that this knowledge, this fact, this certainty, and this truth, that you'll be smitten by it. I like that word. You'll be smitten by it. It'll consume you. It'll overwhelm you. I was smitten in 1977 at St. Paul Bible College when I met this beautiful blonde Norwegian who became my wife. Better add that part. When I met Marsha, I fell instantly in love, and you've heard my story. It took her a little bit longer. <laughs> so all I could think about day and night. She accused me at one point of stalking her. But it was a small campus. <laughs> and everywhere that I went, she just happened to be there. And I fell in love with her. Still in love with her. It's all I could think about. In, in other words, my, I was smitten by her. I was overcome. I was overwhelmed by her. 
Paul says, I'm praying that you'll be so overwhelmed by the certainty and the confidence of who Christ is and what he's done for you that it literally takes control of your life. You become obsessed with him. See, Paul understood something that we need to understand. And that is that our view of the future, our view of what is to come, so oftentimes shapes our thinking and our behavior in the present, doesn't it? I heard a story about an experiment that was held. It's fictitious. There were two rooms, 10 by 10, exactly the same rooms. No windows, a bank of fluorescent lighting in both rooms. And two people were hired to go and work in those rooms. The person in room A was told that for 10 hours a day, they are to screw one nut on one bolt, and they'll do this for 10 hours for one year, and they'll be paid $10,000 to do that, 10 hours a day for a year in a room without a window and fluorescent light. The other person was also hired and they were taken to their room, we'll call it room B. And they had the same exact environment and they were told that for 10 hours a day, for the next year, they must screw that bolt on, they must screw that nut on that bolt and they will be paid $1 billion at the end of the year. That's $1 billion with a B dollars at the end of the year. Several weeks into the job, the two of them happened to cross paths with each other. The person from room A said, I hate this job. All I do for 10 hours a day is stand or sit in that room. No window, mind you, those fluorescent lights screwing nut on bolt after nut on bolt, and I'm only gonna get paid $10,000 a year. Boy, my wrist hurts, my hands are sore. I don't think I'm gonna make it. The person from room B looked at them and said, well, I love my job. I think it's the best job I've ever had. In fact, I can't wait to go to work the next day. Yeah, my wrists and my hands hurt a little bit, but you know, no pain, no gain. I don't care there's no window in the building. I love my job. What is the difference between the person in room B and the person in room A? One billion dollars. Changes everything, changes the entire perspective, doesn't it? When you know what you're going to get, when you know what's at the end of the day, if it's big enough, if it's great enough, it changes everything. That's what Paul says should happen in our lives. We should be so certain and so confident of what Christ has done for us, so certain and so confident of what is yet to come, that it just entirely changes our lives, changes our attitude, changes our relationships, changes our ethics, changes our morals. Changes how we see people, how we look at the world. I ask you a question. I ask myself the same question. How certain and confident are you? How's it changing your life? 
When somebody looks at your life or my life, can they tell we've been smitten with the grace of God? Do they sense that we're living for something bigger and better and different than what they have? Because the world out there, and you know this, is pretty hopeless. It lacks certainty, it lacks confidence, it lacks assurance. It's looking everywhere to try to find a way to close the door and have that sense of certainty and confidence and assurance. Which raises an interesting question. How can you tell when somebody is smitten? How can you tell when they are convinced and certain of something bigger and something greater and something better? And that brings us to the 75th celebration. Because the evidence of it is right here in this room. How else would Wooddale, by God's grace, accomplish all that it has done in these last 75 years if there weren't pastors and people who were smitten with the certainty and the confidence of this great hope we call Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's accomplished on the cross for us? That is what has driven, as Pastor Leith said, Christ-centered, that is what has driven Wooddale these 75 years. And think of all the hearts and lives of children and students and adults that have been touched as a result of what God began 75 years ago. It truly, it truly is exponential. There's no way to measure it. It's eternal. It's reached all the way around the world who knows how many times. And we see what God can do with people and leaders who are certain and confident and convicted about the hope that is Christ, who he is, what he's done. And it's exciting, isn't it? There's a lot to celebrate today. There's a lot to be thankful for. But we don't stop. We're so confident and we're so certain about the future and who Jesus is and what he has done that we're not going to put the brakes on it. We want to see hope unleashed. These last couple of years, we've talked about Vision 22. Vision 22 has been stated as our desire to impart the hope, the confidence, the certainty, the assurance of the gospel to 700,000 people here, near, and far in the next seven years, which if you do the math would have added up and does add up to 2022. We said we also want to create a clear spiritual pathway, and we've been working various strategies and goals to accomplish that. God has been gracious, and God has been good, as he always has been in and through Wooddale Church. We are set to surpass 700,000 people who have heard the gospel here, near, far by the year 2022. We, We have had the opportunity, and I remember Pastor Richard, our global missions pastor, and I was sitting down saying, how many churches could we plant in the most difficult place in the world, which is an area in Asia where less than 1% of the people go to church or know Christ? And after praying and talking with our partners, we decided if at the end of 2022 we could see 4,000 churches planted with 40,000 believers, that, that would be an accomplishment. Folks, today, 4,000 churches been planted. We praise God for that. We praise God for that. We said we'd like to have seven multi-sites by 2022. 
You know, Edina, I don't know if you've been there or not, some of you are from Edina, and I'm so happy that you're here. We kind of relaunched Edina, and if you go there, if you haven't, visit there sometime, I am told you trip over toys and trip over kids. There's so many young families that are showing up. Their hearts and lives are being changed. Then we launched Loring Park. There is not a, amen to that, all right. There's not a week that goes by. There is, there's literally not a week that goes by that I don't get a email or message from Pastor Trent telling me about a life-changing story that is part of the book of Acts, what God is doing there in that urban setting. It's absolutely, absolutely exciting. Now we have four more to go. We've also talked about, you know, renovations, remodeling. We've done a bunch of that. We've also talked about that clear pathway to spiritual maturity. And this past year, we laid it out and we hired one of our pastors who came back. And Pastor Brian Schulenberg has come and I'm excited about where we're going with discipleship. And all that to say, God has been active in the past. God is active in the present. But we believe that God has more for us in the future. And so seeing that Vision 22, so many components of it are going to happen before 22. As leaders this last year, we've been wrestling with, okay, Lord, how do you want us to build off this? Not a new vision, but how do we enhance this vision you've given us? Because as you always are, you've been so faithful to bring so many things online. Some things need to happen yet, but so much online. We've been dialing down on this word hope to impart the hope on this certainty, on this confidence. We've been asking ourselves, what would it be like at each of our campuses if we became, and here's the terminology, if we became epicenters of irresistible hope? We've been studying this. We've been speaking to leaders around the nation about it. We've had lay folks from our different campuses wrestling through this. And I don't have time to go into details about it, but next weekend when I cast vision, you want to come back, I'll tell you more about it. But we're excited about what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like. And I want you to know that we've been praying earnestly that God would tell us where the foresight is. And while I can't share details because nothing has been finalized yet, it appears that our foresight is going to happen very soon. And it's something we've been praying about. But listen carefully. I need you to pray a lot in the next week or two that if it's God's will, he'll bring the details that we're working on together. And if it is his will, I want to tell you something. It is going to be unlike any other multi-site we've done. And what I praise God for is that he brought it to us while we were thinking about this epicenter of irresistible hope before it had even gotten out, so to speak. And it matches so well. Well, the reason I tell you that is I want you to be aware that when God's people, when God's people take him seriously, when we believe in who he is and what he wants to do, and, it's, and it has smitten our hearts, it's got a hold of our souls, there's nothing, there's nothing you can't accomplish in God's name and for his glory. Because that's the key, it's for his glory. The world, and Leith, you may not remember this, but I sat in a seminar in San Francisco and you said this, in Richmond, California. I remember Leith saying, if you could find a church in America 
where God literally showed up on the weekend, there would never be enough room. God has shown up many times at Wooddale. I sense his presence here today. And my prayer for us and for you is that we would realize a special visitation of God's spirit in these days at all of our campuses where hope is so desperately needed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope, the certainty, the confidence, the assurance that comes from having a relationship with your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask that you would be at work in my life and the life of Wooddale to recapture, Lord, what it really means to be smitten by the love of God So that, Lord, it changes how we think and how we behave and how we feel and how we act. That through your church, O oh God, through this church, you would begin revival. A fire of your work. And it would spread here, near, and far in continued exponential ways. For your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.
It has been it has been a wonderful afternoon. I want to thank all of you for coming. Immediately following, as you go out toward our great room to the right, there's a cake reception, and there are going to be about 50 baptisms in the great room. So, so go over there. Standing room only. There's already a crowd in there. Just just pop in and celebrate with those folks who are by an outward sign acknowledging the certainty of the salvation in Christ. Thank you again to our team for putting this together, to the choir, to the orchestra, and to all of our guests. It's been a wonderful day. Now let us go in the grace, the certainty, and the confidence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.